Hey all you heavenly humans, I'm Mandile and welcome to And Other Things, a podcast about navigating life, learning from past experiences, embracing growing pains and laughing along the way. Meet me right here every week for thoughtful conversation, challenging discussion and an all-round great time. Happy July, listeners. Thank you for joining me and celebrating one year of this podcast last week. And now here's the first party of the week of and other things second year in existence. It's a podcast called Resistance and each week they tell stories about regular people and sometimes community leaders past, present and future who refuse to accept the way things are and take big or small steps to affect change. And I really love this podcast so much because it's a reminder to me that we regular folk have more power than we've been led to believe, you know, by social injustices. I recently heard a quote that really struck me and I wish I remembered who said it or where I saw it, but it said something along the lines of, if we keep asking our governments for things and they keep failing to deliver, which they do, are we going to just keep asking them over and over again for those things? Or are we going to just find our own alternatives as communities and personally the latter sounds much more appealing to me and resistance tells the stories of people who worked or are working on finding alternatives. I really really recommend this one especially the episode titled I want to report a theft which is about an African man I think he was Senegalese if I'm not mistaken somewhere He was West African and he goes into a museum in France and begins protesting the stolen African artifacts that were in that museum. Because as we all know, the colonizers took all of our art and everything, put it in their museums and made it their own. Anyway, that episode was really good and the whole podcast is really good. And speaking of advocating for yourself and your communities and refusing to accept things as they are, here's my chat with Chelsea. And just a quick warning, this episode does contain mentions of disordered eating, so if you are sensitive to that, just beware. Alright, here we go. Hi Chelsea, I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to finally be here. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Chelsea and I worked together. We were colleagues at our previous company because she's moved on and I've <laughs> moved on. Um, yeah, so who who is Chelsea? For the listeners who don't know, introduce yourself. Who is Chelsea? 
Yeah. So, um, my gosh, I, it's, it's hard to not get into like what I feel like identifies me because when people ask me who I am, I feel like I'm a person who's kind of fell into their passion based on my experience. So, you know, I, I suffered from chronic illness for a really long time and um, that's really what led me into uh, like holistic healthcare and all of that. And I actually was originally like my original passion was to be a nurse or um, work in the medical field as a PA or something like that. Um, and that's when really my chronic illness got in the way and I had to kind of reevaluate my life because that was something that, I, you know, I could barely take care of myself. So it was like, I couldn't, there's no way that I could take care of somebody else. And it worked out because I especially couldn't in the middle of a pandemic with the hours that yeah. they were working. And so um, with uh, my other passion kind of being just reading all the time, I decided to pursue an English major. And now I am in the niche of uh, editing for a holistic magazine. So that's really exciting for me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so cool to kind of see like myself reroute, you know, that the passion mm. is still there and to be able to be much more creative in this field that, you know, rather than like as a nurse where you, you everyone's kind of just all the same, now how they care for patients yeah. may be different on the emotional end, but, you know, essentially everyone's kind of the same. And that was yeah. really like big for me because I'm a very like extroverted person and, um, I take pride in like being able to be like my own kind of person, you know, so yeah. it's, like, <laughs> I just feel like this is just kind of fell into place perfectly for me. Yeah. I was just saying before the call to the listeners that, um, like the job that Chelsea now has is right up her alley and I'm so happy for her, but, um, you are now 25, right? Yes. You just you recently turned 25 mm -hmm. and so in your 25 years that you've lived on this earth you've been diagnosed with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome yes. POTS, um, Hashimoto's disease, hypothyroidism, epilepsy which was misdiagnosed, acid reflux, IBS, asthma, staph anxiety, and depression. Yes. That is a lot, yes. Chelsea. Can you walk me through the first time that you first started getting sick, which I understand was when you were younger, up until all the sicknesses that you experienced or illnesses that you experienced after? I know that's a lot, so yeah. <laughs> feel free to skim the details. Yes, I will probably go off on a few tangents, but I will try my best to stay sure. uh, focused. But um, I mean, I've been going to a specialist doctor for as long as I can remember. It started with stomach issues um, where I was uh, vomiting several times like during the night. Um, any night that I spent the night away from home. And I mean, as someone can pre like pretty much tell from the outside, it seems anxiety stemmed, you know, just kind of that like scared of being, you know, away and, um, you know, just that, that pressure, I guess. And, uh, and the doctor right away was just like, oh, don't eat after 7 p.m. and you'll be fine. And you just have acid reflux. Mm. I was being scoped yearly 
um, and my medicine was not changing. Uh, I was on Zantac for a better part of my life, and I'm sure um, you've all seen the commercials. Now that is the you've been on Zantac and have been diagnosed with cancer, you could be you know eligible for a settlement or whatever. And it's just seeing that recently has been like a wake up call for me being just like, what, okay, what's the next medication that I'm on that's going to be the next commercial? Mm. Especially because I was on that for not only just like as an adult for a few years, but as a child for years, like, so all of my developmental years. Um, and yeah, and also, you know, along with the, the trauma of being scoped once a year, you know, whether it was, um, the upper um, endoscopy or the colonoscopy. I've had both. Um, and that is a lot for a kid to constantly miss school, go into, wow. um, you know, have this procedure done, be under, they call it, I think more of a, a twilight. Um, so you're not completely under anesthesia. It's like a lighter version. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was, geez. That was most of my childhood, but just dealing with um, wow. a ton of different stomach issues, and uh, you know, I would I would float back and forth from like very irregular bowel movements, and it was just my gut health was awful, and mm. um, you know, that's you're you're growing. You know, I'm talking maybe I was three four years old. Like it was I was very very young. Oh my god. Yeah, like three four years old to probably 10 11 12 years old. That's um, a lot of trauma. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so like the the better part of my of my childhood. Um and then after that, uh I would say probably one I was always a kid that was sick. Like I was always catching everything if somebody was sick I got it and even Mm -hmm. um like if I didn't sleep consistently like eight hours a night I'd get run down and I'd be sick like I was just very very fragile I would say um where I just I was always like no sorry I I can't do that because I've got to be in bed on time or, or something like that and you know that's also hard because you feel like you can't be a normal kid and mm. I even felt that in college and, and everything like that, because it's just like, I always felt like, oh, I'm the sick kid. You know, I can't do this and because I'll get worse or, or something like that. And uh, mentally, you know, that was just piling on. And yeah. um, then I would say probably eighth grade, I had a seizure when I was in school. Um, this was right after I had staff on my legs. So I had over 40 sores all over my legs. Um, and they actually think that I possibly picked that up from like Lake Erie, uh, because I had, um, like an open wound. Uh, oh, again, it was literally, yeah. and when I say open wound, I just mean like an ingrown hair or something on my leg. Like yeah. and I had gone into the lake and this is, it, it just blew up 40 sores per leg. And um, you know, I couldn't wear pants. Like it was, they were like blistery. Um, and I had also had uh, strep throat at the time. Um, so they put me on this medication and, um, I had later had a seizure and, uh, UPMC diagnosed me as epileptic and I was on Keppra for a while. And my mom had said, 
she just had a gut feeling there's no way my daughter is epileptic I just don't feel like she is like I just have this feeling Mm. and it just doesn't match up for me and um when I was on Keppra I don't know if anybody here has uh taken Keppra but my mom was like Chelsea it turned you into the devil like all I remember is (laughs) is like it being 2 a.m and I'd be like screaming that I'm like running away in the garage like I just remember like this episode in the er, that I had like in the garage like it just (laughs) I'm leaving um (laughs) oh my gosh how old were you at uh, this point do you remember yes so this was like eighth grade okay (laughs) so on top of that like also seizures are more common in in those pubescent years because of hormonal Mm. imbalances and hormone so the doctor had also thought you know oh it could have possibly been the medications you were on at the time kind of just like the stars all aligned kind of thing um which caused Mm. seizure and so i ended up having um a second opinion at cleveland clinic where i had um an eeg which is they hook up electrodes all over your head and i was connected to a box for about a week and i could only be off about 15 minutes three times a day um so like to go to the bathroom i would just do like a little wipe down bath and um and that was it but uh was this a box was it like on a rolling type of situation that um, you dragged with you so if I were going to move, like if I were going to unplug myself, I had to plug myself to a, like one of those roller things um, and kind of walk with it. Uh, if I just okay. take a walking break. But this was up to one of the monitors like over top of the bed. Oh, And wow. like 13-year-old Chelsea liked to shake her head and see how the brain waves would change. Uh, so that was the way I Chelsea. <laughs> that was the way I entertained myself for a week, which probably completely messed up, you know, the testing and everything. But what are you gonna do? Um, but they concluded that I did not have epilepsy and that I had um, mm. like brainwave occasional slowings or um, maybe like seizure tendencies. So when I got off the medication, I've been seizure free ever since, but I had to be seizure free for six months. Uh, without medication to be declared okay seizure free um okay so I don't and this is about you know I was 14 15 eighth grade um this is like I would say mm, I don't know I lost my train of thought because that's what happens when you have like brain fog all the time is I'll just yeah I'll start talking I'll be like mm, I don't remember what I was gonna say um mm. but and it's funny I'll I'll like connect with other people that have chronic illness and they'll be like it's so embarrassing because you'll have like you'll feel confident about what you're gonna say and you'll start talking and then all of a sudden you're just like mm, I forget like yeah I don't remember yeah um and then you'll just like I'll come back to it if I remember but um so when I was in, I would say ninth, 10th grade, I don't know how it was in, in your high school, but um, we had like a lot of the same teachers in the, in different grades. Like, so like I had my, my Spanish teacher like three years in a row and stuff like that. And she actually had pots. Yeah. She actually had pots and um, she pulled me aside one evening after class and she had known, you know, I miss school a lot because I'm sick a lot. And, um, 
she noticed that I take a long time to take tests, but I would, Mm -hmm. I would do well, like I would do well on them. So it wasn't like, you know, I was sitting there thinking and then I get like an F, you know, I would, it it would come back as an A or a, you know, a B or something like that. And, um, she's just pulled me aside one day and she was like, Hey, like, I notice that you take a very long time on exams and, um, and I had just said to her, like, I literally feel like I have to read something six times for me to remember what it says, like Mm. to really stick. And she was like, I kind of noticed a lot of trends in you that I noticed within myself. And she was like, I would consider getting tested for POTS. So this was like literally probably my junior year or so, but I had been to, um, oh, I skipped a step. So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in, I think like my freshman or sophomore year of, um, high school. And I think I was, they had said, you know, oh, eventually this will probably turn into hypothyroidism, which is what it ended up doing, but it was when I was 19. Um, so hyperthyroidism runs on my dad's side, which is when you have an overactive thyroid, thyroid gland, um, and overactive metabolism. Hypothyroid yeah. runs on my mother's side and is when you have an underactive thyroid gland, mm. underactive metabolism. So mine as a hormonal teenager was like all over the place. It was bouncing back and forth. So that's where you come in with the Hashimoto's. And um, when I was at, I went to Pittsburgh Children's, University of Pittsburgh Children's Medical Center. And um, my mom was so sweet because every time I would go to the doctor, she would, it was about an hour away and she would make it. And like a day outing she's like where are we gonna go for lunch and she would literally make it like we were going on a little trip and Aww. it's like I couldn't imagine what she was going through and what she felt for me like now that I'm mm. an adult um but I almost like would get excited to go because it was like a day trip with my mom and we would go to good restaurants and we'd walk around the city and she just made it like a fun time where I didn't my focus wasn't on the hospital. It was just, that was something like, oh, that's just another stop that we have to make today is go to, is stop and see the doctor. And I love that. Yeah, it was just such a like mind ch- mindset change. Like, yeah, it really made a huge difference. And a lot of times, like even as an adult, I bring my mom to doctor's visits and everything because since everything started when I was so young and my memory is bad as it is, she knows like the details so I'm like that I walk into the doctor with 20 at 25 years old I'm like this is my mom (laughs) but (laughs) you know but she just she remembers the details where I you know sometimes lack and um so we were going we were going to the hospital going to see an endocrinologist and I, I had seen several doctors by this time I had seen infectious disease I had seen um a neurosurgeon um, I had, because I had these headaches where it literally feels like someone's taking a knife to your brain and it would last wow. for a couple seconds and then it'd be over. But it was like, I couldn't even open my eyes. Like I'd be, I'd be just like wincing in pain. And, and he was just literally like, oh yeah, that's called a stabbing headache. And it's just because you're stressed. And did I have a lot of stress for the age that I was? Sure. But I just knew yeah. Like, this isn't normal. I shouldn't be, like, wincing in pain whenever I get this type of 
headache that lasts for a couple seconds. And, um, you know, the, the infectious disease specialist was so rude to my mother. He was like, your daughter's fine. She's just overstressed. She's, she's just got a lot Mm. going on. And my mom was constantly like, I know my daughter's just something's going on. And she really stayed vigilant with it. And, um, because of my, my thyroid problems. So that's taken, you know, with a blood test and you can see that it was off, but sometimes when you would take it, it'd be normal because of the inconsistency. And I went to go see an endocrinologist at UPMC children's and I'm telling her all my things. And she looks at me and she goes, wait a second. And she goes, I have a doctor that I think you need to see. I will be right back. She runs out of the room and she's like, I told this doctor, it's, he's an adolescent specialist. She goes, I told this doctor your situation. He wants to see you right away. Um, and she took care of the thyroid issue. She said, you have Hashimoto's, you know, and, yeah. and all that. But he was, she was like, this doctor wants to see you right away. Can you come back next week or whatever the time frame was? And mm-hmm. usually in order to see him, um, you have to see like his PA first or his like colleague first. Like he doesn't yeah. necessarily see new patients. So for him to do that was kind of a big deal, but also kind of scary because I knew that yeah. like, well, I'm, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And within the first five minutes of our visit, he diagnosed me with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome or POTS. Mm. What I had had on the back burner all along that my Spanish teacher yeah. died you know, two years late earlier and said, Hey, I think you have POTS, but I went to, you know, six different specialists at UPMC children's who just told me there was, mm. it was just my problem. It was stress. I needed to work on my stress management and all that. And, um, yeah, it was just within the first five minutes, I was there. He's like, you have POTS. You're like a poster child for a kid with POTS. And, yeah. um, that was, so relieving to hear mm. to have a diagnosis to have a label I guess thrown on with me that opened up a lot more challenges because nobody else knew about it nobody else knew what it was every time I went to a doctor I had to give them a crash course on what POTS was and what was I was teaching that like Wow. I was teaching them what I had and then they would say like, okay, this treatment is safe for you or it's not. And the problem is, is having, you know, your doctor play God with your life is terrifying mm. because they're already so unsure and you can see that in them, you know, and I was 16, 17 years old seeing that my doctor had no idea um, what was safe for me and what wasn't. And I could see their lack of confidence. And that was the the exact opposite of reassuring. Like, it was just like, it was scary. And I felt like at this point, I knew more about how to handle myself than what a medical professional would. And, um, you know, I was, I would black out most of the times in the shower Anytime I curled my hair, I'd black out, I'd overheat. So they thought I had Crohn's. That was a no, you know, it was just constantly like, oh, let's see what you have. And it's, it's a no. They thought I had mono. It was a no, but senior year, I actually did get diagnosed with, I did have mono. Um, and that was the absolute worst because mono makes you tired. 
POTS makes you tired. Thyroid disease makes you tired. I was sleeping 23 hours a day and I'd only be awake to go to the bathroom and hurry and try to eat something. And um, I missed probably about two and a half months of my senior year. Um, and then when I went back the rest of the year, first, I didn't think I was going to graduate. Um, and, you know, I was a person, I was on homecoming court. I was in band. I was um, on swim team. I was on the track team. I was, I identified myself as a triathlete. I identified myself as like, you know, just literally everything. And I felt like I had a little identity crisis. Like now I was just not at school. And, you know, as an extroverted senior missing my senior year, like it was, it was very difficult. And, you know, when I went back to school, all I did was I probably went, I could only handle about two and a half, three hours a day before I was too tired, too worn out. So what I did for the rest of the school year is I went into the like the tutoring room or where a lot of the cyber kids um, do some schooling in there. I taught myself everything. I did wow. every single thing by myself. I completed an entire school day's work in about two hours. And I just sat there at the desk alone doing doing my work. And I would turn it in and then I'd get the next day's work. And that was how I finished out my, the last few months of my senior year. And, um, you know, I, I was able to graduate. Um, a lot of my teachers did work with me, um, which was really great. But college was so much harder than I f expected it to be. And I thought, here I go. Here's this fresh start. It's going to be good for me because I don't have the pressure of completing like the daily work like I have a few days I immediately got yeah. set up with a um the disability center the student accessibility services and um had a program with them and then I realized my new identity was a student a student with a disability when I look completely normal and you know normal isn't really the label that I want to put on that but you know, it's the word kind of coming to mind and, um, yeah, like it's an, an invisible yeah, disability. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of people didn't believe me. A lot of people, um, kind of judged me, thought I was like, yeah, like making it up or exaggerating. Um, and, or, or, you know, just saying something to kind of get out of an assignment, but every single class, every new class it started with, Hi, my name is Chelsea Pannon. I'm registered with Student Accessibility Services. Here are the accommodations I need in order to take your class. And mm. I am a very prideful person where I do not like special treatment. And it was like every single new class, I had to swallow my pride and just kind of deal with it because I needed to have those accommodations in order to be, you would say, I guess, on an equal level as the other students, you know? And I'd say some days I'm completely fine. Some days I can't get out of bed. My freshman year of college, I finished with a 1.0 GPA, I almost failed out. I started in the nursing program. And um, I just always remember, I always thought I'm gonna be a great nurse because I'm empathetic. You know, I love taking care of people. 
I was a math and science focused person in school. And at the end of that year, the um, advisor came up to me and said, are you sure nursing is for you? And I felt crushed. I felt like she told me I was an idiot, um, you know, because my grades were so low, but she had no idea I was sleeping 23 hours a day. Um, you know, I, I missed most of my classes. Like I was, I was struggling. I was struggling a lot. And, you know, but all she could see were that I was getting D's and F's and that, you know, she, for her to say that to me was like, I felt like she had just dropped the boulder on my heart. Like it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And, um, you know, for someone to be told that you're not good enough for the dream that you've had for your life is soul crushing. Um, especially at 18, 19 years old, when I had already struggled my entire life, you know, and all I wanted to do was help people that were in the same boat as me. And um, then I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism that my Hashimoto's had stuck into underactive thyroid permanently. And um, with my college career, I put on about, let's see, 75 pounds throughout my four years. And wow. it was very, very difficult. I went into this, um, I mean, essentially it's an eating disorder because I was binging, binge eating, and then I yeah. would cry and I would look at myself in the mirror and hate everything I saw. I hate how much weight I gained. Um, I hate that I couldn't do sports anymore and I would eat more and then I'd regret it. And it was this constant cycle. And I literally couldn't go shopping without sitting in the dressing room crying. And um, it was just, I, I just, I couldn't stand how much weight I gained. And I thought, you know, oh, the freshman 15, I'm like the, you know, I gained more than that. Like it was, I just felt like I had fell into like the freshman beer drinking stereotype, even though that's not why I had gained weight. Um, and you know, my doctor, when I had said, she goes, your, your metabolism is probably only working at about 15%, 20%. And I was taking more medication than my grandmother who had had thyroid disease since she was in her forties. And every single person in my family didn't have thyroid disease until they were in their forties or later. And I'm here 19 years old with the metabolism working at 15, 20% and I'm just and constantly putting on weight and being told this is the rest of my life. That it's just, it's always gonna be this way. And there's, I just have to learn to deal with it. And I'm just like, how much weight am I gonna gain? Like, if this is what I gain in four years, what does my future look mm. like? Am I not gonna be able to have children? Am I gonna constantly hate what I look, what I look like? Um, you know, are, am I going to become in like so much pain that because I'm so large that like, I can't even get out of bed. And it was just like the next 50 years were spinning in my head. Like, what, yeah. is, what am I going to look like? And um, my senior year of college, I was treated for a lung infection for over two months. I was on antibiotics for over two months, still coughing up dark 
like green phlegm wheezing i could barely walk to the kitchen without having a coughing attack i could barely i couldn't wow. walk to the bathroom like i could not breathe and i wasn't getting better and they after i saw i went to cleveland clinic when i wasn't getting better they diagnosed me with asthma and to be real with you i still don't think i have asthma i think i had uh mold toxicity um, because it's very rare to develop asthma as an adult and I've never had a problem before and it went right into me coughing up dark green mucus like it was just like and it was all the time it wasn't like as soon as I'd get a little like cardio work or something I'd be having that like asthma it had nothing to do with the with the season change it was just all of a sudden I could not breathe and I know there was mold in my college apartment because I called them to come like clean it and all they did was paint over it and um I know there was mold in my uh, apartment when I moved to DC or my house when I moved to DC because the same thing happened and that was when I was uh, hospitalized for bacterial pneumonia, so staph infection in your lungs, six weeks apart. And, um, you know, ever since then, I still don't feel like my lung capacity, my air capacity, like my stamina is as good as it was before that. Um, but we're working, working up to it. But anyways, I climbed out of my 1.0 GPA hole in college, graduated with English honors, and um, it was a huge relief. I was just like, I made it, you know? And it really turned out that the college structure was very hard for me. Staying up till 4 a.m. some nights, going to bed at like, I mean, waking up at like 2 p.m. Like it just was not a good structure for somebody with chronic illness like me and the things that I had um, and the constant ordering out and all of that. and. Um, and not being able to really like afford better quality foods. And, you know, it was just a constant like negative cycle. Um, but after college, I did not think that it's like, geez, am I even going to be able to live by myself? As when I took mm -hmm. the move to DC, um, all of that has really led to this holistic journey for me because I got tired of feeling like, you know, I didn't take the doctor's answer as this is it. This is my fate. I'm just going to consistently get sicker for the rest of my life. Um, they told me thyroid disease is irreversible. Since I started working on uh, my holistic uh, lifestyle change, I have been able to reverse my thyroid disease. I have gone from taking 150 micrograms of sertraline to 112. And mm. that has never happened. I mean, I was every single time I went to the endocrinologist, my thyroid was unstable and I had to be put on more medication. All of a sudden it started to backtrack. It was, it was then stable for the first time ever. And then I needed to get off medication. And then the last time I went, I had to even get off, like it was just half a pill a week less. And the progress has been outstanding. Like I, haven't felt this good since before all like probably before I had my seizure I would say like eighth grade and even then like my energy was low I didn't feel good um and now I just feel like 
I am at the start of like an awesome journey. I love that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for rehashing all those details because it just, it sounds very traumatic and I can tell you have come to terms with everything and have been able to work through it and I want to want to touch on your holistic journey a little later but before that I just want to say doctors don't know everything and the fact that you said that you had to teach your doctors about parts Mm -hmm. the very medical professional professionals who are supposed to be you know saving lives and know all of this stuff I think that says a lot about how we view doctors as a society and I know um like people around me who have endometriosis I think it's called which is like like really severe period pains and the for most of them the only way that they found out that they had that is because someone else who had it told them like hey maybe you should get this checked out and it's usually because of someone else's personal experience that a lot of chronic illnesses are diagnosed so I'm I think your Spanish teacher was really great to confront you about that but I'm I'm upset that it took two years after she told you for someone to finally say this and to affirm you know the suspicions that you and the Spanish teacher and your mom had yeah and I think like I always thought maybe I should bring up like pots but you again before I had this mindset like it's like you think if I had POTS, somebody would have told me, a doctor would have told mm, me. And, yeah. you know, that is why I just went on with my life. Cause I was like, if, if a civilian, I guess you could say, could tell me, diagnose me based on what she had, like as, yeah. a, as a young person, just from her seeing me every day in Spanish class, I mean, someone who, who dedicates their life to studying health should be able to tell me. And that yeah. was kind of my, my idea. And I was actually in a car accident right after graduation, my senior year of high school. And um, I was, it was pretty bad where they told me I shouldn't have been able to walk out of it. And I was, I walked out with a bruise, but I had to be taken by ambulance to a high or to a hospital just to check to make sure everything was fine. And I just wasn't like full yeah. on, on adre- adrenaline and like, you know, just feeling good at that, at that moment. Anyways, if I had been unconscious, I probably would have been dead because I'm sitting there in the ambulance explaining to them what POTS is, how I can not have severe anesthesia. I can't have heavy anesthesia because of, because of my POTS or they have to adjust the anesthesia to be safe for me. And I'm just thinking, And, and all of a sudden, they also didn't really know about what POTS was. So I had to give them like the little crash course. And I'm thinking, what if I had been unconscious? What if I yeah. had to be rushed into surgery? Like, just the surgery alone could have made me worse, you know? And it's just like, I just try to just be thankful that it wasn't worse because who yeah. knows what would have happened. But the fact that I was sitting there a person after a car accident explaining to the EMTs like, Hey, this is my situation. This is this. And like, you know, having a, I looked into having a a medical like ID bracelet after that. And I'm just like, it doesn't even matter because nobody knows what POTS is anyways. But I Mm. do, um, POTS is much more known where anytime I bring it up, a lot of people have heard of it. I personally know more people that have it now 
And um, it's just really great to hear how uh, even like Western medicine has evolved in the POTS sector since, you know, within the last seven years since I graduated mm. high school. So it's, um, you know, it's really, it's really good to see, but I'm glad that, uh, you know, I, I was really one of the first people in my area, the first kids to have it. And um, mm. I'm always kind of that person that people reach out to, or even if they suspect that they might have it because of blacking out and stuff like that. And I, yeah. I really tell them, I said, the biggest thing for me has just been a diet change has been, um, you know, learning how to, how to recognize, okay, like when I might feel something, um, like if I wake up in the morning feeling off, like, okay, today's the day I really need to stick around the house, you know, don't push it, keep my, keep monitoring my heart rate for any spikes, um, just to really be in tune with how you're feeling. Um, and that has really been the best, you could say, treatment for me. Now there are, I met a girl who was 14 years old. She was given five years to live. She had a heart attack in high school. And, um, I'm just like, I am fairly, I'm very lucky to have been in that position. Um, she had to go to do some like experimental medicine that was, that cost like, you know, $60,000 and it wasn't covered by insurance, obviously. And, um, I remember just sitting there and her parents were like crying and telling me, you know, her story and this young girl. And I I always put myself back how like uncertain I felt at that age. And I was not on my deathbed. Like I I was not being told Mm -hmm. I had a couple of years to live. I was not having a heart attack at 15 years old. Like it's, and now to think I'm out, I live by myself, which I never thought I could because of blacking out in the shower. I take care of myself. I have a job that I can go to every week. It is just like, I'm just in a place I never thought I could be. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you've overcome a lot of mountains. And when you were telling your story earlier, I could already pinpoint a lot of ways that your chronic illnesses have affected you, whether socially, Mm -hmm. financially, in the workplace. So I, I want you to talk a little bit about specifically as a child who is trying to make friends in middle school high school how that affected you because I can imagine if you are not showing up to birthday parties or all these places where friendships really flourish Mm -hmm. that you would end up isolated so talk a little bit about how your illnesses affected your social life yeah so as a young child it wasn't as bad because um I would say like birthday parties were were during the day they weren't overnights they were they weren't going okay late late in the night so it wasn't like I really had to adapt my schedule for that but when it started to get hard was um I would say not till high school when people were uh you know going out late and and um you know, maybe like, hey, let's go to dinner after the football, or let's go get food after the football game, or so, or something like that. You know, and and also, I I always try to think like, was part of it actually dealing with an illness, or part of it just like kind of having strict parents because they were so scared for me all the time, mm. or worried about me. Yeah. And on top of that, I was the first child and I was a girl. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, you know, it's 
that has its limitations in itself for first time parents, but first time parents for that have a sick child, I would say, um, the reins are pretty tight. And my mom even says that to me now, she was like, I was constantly worried about you. You could, you know, and, and young kids don't know how to handle somebody with chronic illness if something were to happen. And as it got into, you know, my first overnights and stuff like that, um, you know, I literally had to prep the family. Here's what you do if this happens. Here's what you do if this happens. You know, everything should be fine, but, and it's like, they're thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm having this liability come into my home, (laughs) you know? And it's just, it's hard being 15, 16 years old, feeling like, you have to explain yourself everywhere you go yeah. because if something happens, you need to ensure the people around you not to panic. And, um, you know, that was the reality was if I blacked out, I'd be okay in a couple minutes, but somebody might be like, Oh my gosh, call the ambulance, like skitter, you know, what's happening, what's going on. And they make it make the situation a lot worse than it needs to be. Um, and, they there's a lot more fear um surrounding you um so i mean i would say like one instance in particular when i had gone back to school my senior year after missing about two and a half months um a lot of the kids i mean they were just joking around but they were like wow you still like go to school here you know And I just kind of brushed it off, but it was heartbreaking to me because it was just Mm. like, like, I get it. Like, you know, they're like laughing because I hadn't been there for so long, but they, they didn't understand what I was going through, you know? And, um, I mean, to this day, you know, seven, eight years later, it still sticks with me. So like, obviously it, you know, had a little bit of an effect on me, um, but it was really, it wasn't, the hard part wasn't making friends for me. It was meant, it was the mental, um, like aspect of constantly having to explain myself to people and prepare them for like a doomsday situation, you know, when, and then they get scared and then seeing them scared makes me scared. Like, do they not know how to handle, like, is this going to be a problem? You know, should I just go home? Will that make it easier? And, you know, I was constantly afraid of living my life, not just for me, but because I didn't want to bother other people. And that was definitely the hardest part. Now college was um, hard mentally on me because of constantly having to turn down um, like invitations and going like going out to the bars and doing this and you know there were times I'd go out to the bars whenever I drink um and I'm not hydrated I wake up and my hands are numb and it happens Mm -hmm. every time it still happens now I just have to make sure that I you know I'm I'm hydrated before bed or I'll suffer intense cramping like on my legs and everything where they just tense up um you know there were points in college where I had such bad cramping and not even due to drinking. This is when I just had flare-ups, but it felt like a Charlie horse over my entire body for hours. And I would be like screaming in intense pain. And the only Mm. thing that would help would be marijuana. And Mm. I mean, I would, I would pop five, six Advil 
it wouldn't even help a little bit. But then I got scared because I'm like, what's going to happen if I'm taking too much Advil? You know, this yeah. is already like a drug. Whereas if I just took two hits of a joint, it would relieve my pain so much that I could just go to sleep. And I wouldn't have to worry about that. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm overdosing on over-the-counter medication or anything like that, you know? And, and also, honestly, like I trusted more what was going into my body with just like, you know, a hit of marijuana that I did in the, in the, taking a, a ton of Advil. Like, it's just, yeah, you know, and I, I talk to people all the time now about just like how pro medical marijuana I am, marijuana. how much it changed mm. my life in college. Yeah. Mm. Was that something that you discovered on your own just by trying it out? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, okay. I was very like anti-weed my entire life and it just yeah. got to the point same with my like holistic journey where I just got tired of not feeling better and I had heard you know these like stories of people um like smoking for relief and I was like I was at a point where it's like I have nothing to lose like I just I can't yeah. this anymore I'm in too much pain and it just really really helped mm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that you found <laughs> that you're not anti-weed anymore and that you found um, like a cure in that. But now you are in the professional world, which is a mm-hmm. whole other ball game in terms of navigating this because you now have to explain to someone who is paying you and expecting you to push out as much work as you can because we are in a capitalist society yeah. and obviously not all jobs are like that. Um, but I know from where we worked in the past that productivity was highly valued. Tell me about how you navigated that and how you tried to advocate yourself and when it didn't work and why it didn't work. Sure. So um, I had, I've had issues where actually one one started in college with a professor where she tried to uh, tell me that I, I missed a test, so I got an automatic zero. Well, according to my my disability paperwork, if I miss any class, any test, any, any single anything like that, I have the right mm-hmm. to make it up. And it was a whole thing, you know, where I was fighting for myself against this teacher that I had the right to make this stuff. And it was like over at the end of the day, it was like literally a six point quiz, but I was fighting, you know, to get into the nursing program where they only take a certain number. And Mm. I was like, I'm not going to let this lady walk all over me just because I'm one out of, you know, 200 people in her class and she can. And, um, I was able to, you know, I had my representative at the disability office who contacted her and was like, listen, um, she has the right to make up this test. I did, I did well on it. And I just felt like she had it for me, like the rest of the year. Like, I just felt like she had a problem mm. with me the rest of the year. And, um, you know, that was kind of what I was afraid of. Um, but as far as, so my first job, um, not really a problem. I would say it was more just, okay, you know, the, the entry, like the first week, the welcome week, whatever you want to call it, like your orientation, uh, onboarding, um, 
I sit down with HR. I explain to them my situation. I tell them, listen, there are a lot of days, most days, but I'm completely fine. Now, Mm. the difference is like for me, when let's say, you know, the, the office is passing around a stomach bug or a cold or something where someone might take mm. you know, two, two days off, I'm out a week. Like it, my body just mm. takes an extra long time to recover. And um, they were pretty understanding with that. They were just like, just communication is key. Like, please just let me know as early as you know, you know, when, um, what, what accommodations we can make for you. They provided me with a laptop, which usually only mid to senior level people got a laptop, but uh, they were willing to do that for me so that if a day came up, mm. I would still safely work from home. Um, yeah. And I always tried my best. Maybe even uh, I tried to work. I felt like I had to work harder sometimes um, to prove myself just because I already was getting, if you would say, special treatment um, to have a laptop when every single other person my age who had been there longer than me did not have one, but yet I did. Yeah. And so I felt like I was like, all right, like there, they gave me a laptop. I really need to prove myself. So, you know, I was working extra hard on the days that I didn't feel good and had to work from home. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, but that essentially, you know, it was it was a more positive environment. Now, our previous job, I have, you know, explained this situation to you, but, um, you know, all of a sudden, it just seemed like there was a problem with my paperwork. And then um, there was a deadline that was literally nearly unreachable, but they were, they weren't willing to accommodate um, getting new paperwork in on time, but they had three months to, t- to get it fixed. Uh, or to say this to me, but they waited until the middle of the pandemic when doctors aren't even in the office and they have bigger fish Mm. to fry than somebody who, you know, is fine, but needs disability paperwork when there's literally people dying. And they, and I had asked, I was like, listen, like, here's the situation. Can I get an extension on this paperwork? Because the doctor's office just said like doctors are working from home. They're dealing with a lot right now. They just don't have time to get this in. And this employer literally said, nope, sorry, we can't move the deadline. And I told, I was talking to my mom about this and she was like, if there's really, if they really can't move the deadline, it's because someone on their, on their end messed up. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, after I got my paperwork in, then there was issues with the wording that my doctor said there was, so my doctor had basically filled it out as a POTS generic patient because, um, you know, I had just moved to Maryland maybe the previous year, year or two, and, um, you know, he didn't know my entire history. So, and he was kind of doing it last minute to meet their deadline. And they were picking Mm -hmm. apart his wording and saying that I couldn't work from home because of the exact phrasing that he said. I told my doctor this later on and he said, what they're doing is straight up illegal. Yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry. They could have made accommodations if they really wanted to. Um, But yeah, unaccommodating employees aside, tell me about your holistic journey and your journey to healing yourself with food and exercise and all of that. I... I, th- I would say during the pandemic, 
it, I had so much time to, and, you know, as an extrovert, you need some, and you need an outlet to put yeah. as, as you're a social butterfly all the time. Now you're living alone and inside all the time. It's like, okay, I need to throw, I need to um, unload this somewhere. Uh, so I yeah. really put it into um, holistic stuff, into um, studying uh, different methods and doing research, um, reflecting on myself. And that was really what I, um, where I had started because I had the time and, um, I had always kind of had the, the interest because it was like, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm tired of doctors literally determining my fate for me and telling me that this is just the rest of my life. And I did not take that for an answer. And, um, I had kind of, and a lot of the times, like for, I with POTS, they had told me, okay, like, make sure you're, you're getting your exercise the same time every single day so that your heart can understand and start to learn when you're exercising and when you're not. So like the problem is I'd be sleeping and my heart rate would shoot up to like 160 and, um, you know, cause it would get, it didn't, it couldn't recognize when I was exercising when I was not. So that was mm. a lot of times when I'd have those heart spikes. And, um, so that was one thing that they told me to do. And I'm like, you know, a lot of the things they're telling me. And then this, another thing was increase salt in your diet so that your blood increases volume so that it can travel easier and it doesn't puddle in your legs when you stand up causing you to black out. So wow. I was like, kind of just thinking, these are all, he's not throwing pills at me. These are all lifestyle changes. And I'm like, if this is what I can do, you know, and this is what a doctor's telling me that I can do to just start to uh, heal my pots. I wonder what would happen if I started kind of doing that for all the other things. And especially with the medicine commercials, that was a big wake up call. I started with about eight pills in college. I was taking a day, eight, eight prescription medications i'm down wow. to three I'm down to three right now um which is really incredible and i'm almost off another one i'm almost off my antidepressant i was taking 100 milligrams i'm down to 12. so i just cut nice. my 25 pill in half about two weeks ago and started doing that um to try and get off it um but i just started researching supplements and what certain supplements are for um and kind of, and following more holistic accounts on Instagram, um, because they are posting things daily. Um, it's easy to engage with people over Instagram. Um, and I bought a juicer cause I had read something about, uh, consuming celery juice on an empty stomach every morning. And a lot of people were like, ah, like that's not true, whatever. And I'm just like, at this point, you know, my pills were costing several hundred dollars a month. And I was like, this mm. is a one-time $300 purchase. I said, if it works, it works. And that's amazing. And I can start to, you know, kickstart my healing journey. If it doesn't, I'm out a one-time purchase of 300 bucks where I'm already spending hundreds of dollars on medication. And I just continue. And you can still it. make juice yeah. anyway. Can still, <laughs> you can still make orange juice. juice. Yeah, it still tastes good. Um, but honestly, it changed my life. It, I started for, I started coughing up all this disgusting, dark stuff. 
and mm. I felt bad and sluggish for probably a week. I had withdrawal symptoms. I had headaches. I had, um, you know, or detox symptoms. I had, I was tired. I was, but still it was not the type of tired that compared to how I felt when I was sick in college. Yeah. It was more just like a normal person tired and low energy levels. And, and then I just started to feel better. And I was like, I haven't felt this good in a, in a while. And so I continued with that. I started looking at other diet changes and, um, and things like that. And, uh, I did an elimination diet, um, for 12 days and I incorporated each thing I cut out slowly. Um, one thing at a time back into my diet when that was over. And I noticed that gluten makes me tired and it blows mm -hmm. me up like a balloon. It makes me look very inflamed, very patchy and red. And, um, it just gave me that like swollen look. And then when I incorporated dairy, I realized that my lungs filled up with mucus. I couldn't breathe and I would constantly cough up dark green stuff. Mm. And so I was able to now, anytime I eliminate that out of my diet, I'm breathing clearly. I'm, I just like, I feel good. My energy levels are good. And it's to the point where if I, if I eat dairy or if I eat gluten, it doesn't really bother me because it's a one-time thing. If I, if I'm eating a majority without that, you know, so, but if I eat dairy like four times a week or something like that, that's when I start getting very phlegmy, very, um, not, I don't feel good stuff like that. Um, and then I just got very passionate about that. And I worked with a, a health coach for six months and she kind of gave me the tools to, um, you know, I still had this problem with emotional eating and she gave me the, she would like ask me these questions and really help me break down. It was literally like, I'm not going to lie, the best like counselor I've ever had, like the best, like the best I've ever had. And she was just a holistic health coach. And, um, she, within three months, I renewed after three months for another three months. By the end of the six months, um, binge eating wasn't even a concern. Like I, I didn't even think wow. about it. And, um, ever since then it's been, it's been great. Like I, I mm. don't have that problem. I don't associate food with feelings as much. Um, and you know, I say as much because we all have a bad day and you know, where we're like, oh, I just want ice cream or something or something comforting, yeah. right. We all have that. But you know, I went from an everyday of like binge eating and then feeling sad to doing it again. And, um, mm. and I do, and my self-image is, you know, a, is 180 better. Like it is completely better. I, I go on, I went from crying in the just dressing room to checking out my weekly progress pics on my phone. Like I had them on my phone and I scroll through and I'm like, Oh, like, look at that picture. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can see like the smile on my face right now. Like it is just, yeah. I am so much more confident. I feel um, so much better in my skin. And in reality, you know, yes, I look better. I look less inflamed. I look, um, you know, I've probably lost about 15 pounds or so, not since this year, but since graduating college and, you know, getting off medication and everything. But 
it, it is not, you know, a year and a half transformation. It's not like a serious transformation where I lost 50 pounds or anything. The reality is I'm not that much different. All that's changed is my mm. mindset. And, mm. you know, I don't have those days where I wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel so fat today. When in reality, you're exactly the same size as you were the day before. You know, maybe you have a little more bloating because you started your period or you ate something that caused inflammation. But in reality, you're probably just about exactly the same. I am just so impressed with your ability to advocate for yourself and turn that pain and all those years of dealing with sickness and having to explain to doctors to something so beautiful in terms of healing yourself and now being certified to help other people through their own journey so um yeah that's just really lovely to see and what is one thing about living with chronic illness or chronic pain that you want people who don't experience that to know um definitely if someone says they're not feeling good just because they don't look like they're not feeling good, don't brush them off. Don't think they're lying. Don't think they're making it up. You know, believe what they're saying and just offer to help and or support, not even help, just offer your support in like any way you can because just being validated is like such a huge um part of the battle like feeling like you think you're crazy and and this is something you'll hear among so many people that have struggled with chronic illness is that they were told it's in their head um especially women um you know i would say and and the majority of people with pots it does affect more women than men and i i do know men with mm. it but it affects more women than men and um you know, unfortunately, it's not something that you look at someone and you're like, oh, they're sick. You know, it's not, it's not, and it's not, it's, people don't know about it like they do a cancer or, um, you know, MS or something like that, where yeah. you say, oh, I have MS or I have cancer. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? How can I support you? Um, it's that instant validation. Whereas people are like, Oh, I have POTS or I have, you know, what, whatever other chronic illness. And they're like, mm, do you like, you know, and, and just you automatically feel like less than and like it's in your head and just, you know, not validated. And it's it's I would say that's just one of the the biggest things that has helped me. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, trust that that person mm -hmm. knows what they're talking about and knows what's best for them and validate okay. them and that I love that and so wrapping up let's do a temperature check how is this conversation how are you feeling oh I feel great I every time I yeah. talk about my journey and not only is it therapeutic to get off my chest and just like express myself because it's I always feel like I say something new every time um but I, I love being able to help people and, and share my story and just know, you know, I felt so alone when I was, I felt like, especially growing up in a small town, I felt like I'm the only person in this town like this. And, mm. you know, now that I I'm graduated, I've go, go, gone back to that school, gone back to that town. Even at my brother's graduation, my mom's like, Hey, that girl has pots. 
and hey that person over there has pots and it's just like it's it's so it's comforting is not the right word but it's like even for me it's like I feel like I'm not alone like there are other people even in my town that have it and their parents know about it and they come to my mom and ask like oh you know how did you handle this with Chelsea and like how did you and and she advocates for me and and for their kid and um it's like this little community and I just I love being that person for people and I'm I'm so glad that you asked me to do this because you know like I would say besides the people we worked with like we don't have you know we grew up in completely different areas completely different parts of the world so yeah every person we don't know really any of the same people besides the people we worked Mm. with and it's so awesome that now everyone you know is going to hear hear my story Mm. that just makes me so excited yeah that's so true I hadn't thought about it like that and the reason that I asked you to do this is because when we worked together I saw how hard it was for you to navigate that and I I don't think I know anyone in my close circle who deals with or at least not visibly deals with a chronic illness and so now I'm starting to think who have I known in the past who may not look like they're dealing with something but have been dealing with it and may not have doctors validate them and that so thank you for being so open and for sharing your journey sure I'll just add on a small tidbit like so I just moved to Florida as I had said and I was with a group of people I didn't know anybody and they were kind of asking me what I do and then I started talking about it started talking about how I dealt with chronic illness and a girl uh, messaged me the next day and was like, thank you so much for opening about your autoimmune journey. She goes, I have autoimmune issues and I've always had trouble talking about it. And, and she started talking about it. And I was like, I'm so glad I could be that person for you. Like that is exactly why I do what I do and why I talk about my whole story. And it's just even the, you know, the hard details and it's like, and you know, every time you talk about it, it is, it's kind of like you relive it a little bit. So, um, you know, not to say that there aren't any emotions tied to it. It's just that the outcome is so much more rewarding than any of the little triggers can be, you know? Mm, yeah. Where can people find you on social media if they want to reach out or if they want to follow along on your journey? Yeah. Um, so I would say my Instagram at Chelsea. Canon is the where I'm most active and it also has links to my blog um, and to anything I'm, I'm doing so that would be the most uh, the best way to to get in contact with me and definitely anyone can reach out to me anytime with a question a comment sharing their story I love every second of it awesome thanks Chelsea thank you right listeners thanks so much for spending some of your precious time with me throughout this episode as always don't forget to subscribe share with a friend and rate and review on apple podcasts follow and other things on instagram at and other things potty for more valuable content this podcast was written hosted and produced by me have a most magnificent day Thank you.